0: invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. We're going to read the first 12 verses. As we look at Jesus' encouragement to the church as the church will suffer persecution and oppression... And um, gives us great words and lessons and courage this morning. Luke chapter twelve. Let's um, just pick. We'll pick it up in verse uh, verse one. If you just remember where we've been, Jesus has been talking with Pharisees, and they. Um, Particularly one, memory went to his house and this lawyer, and in verse 53 of chapter 11, uh, we find that the, the Pharisees and the scribes began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. And so that's our context. Verse 1 of chapter 12, in the meantime... When so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends... Do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man, will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities... Do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you ought to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And this morning we'll be looking specifically at verses 4 uh, through 12. As I said uh, just a, a minute ago, we, uh, Jesus is starting to experience more and more animosity as he goes about his ministry. He's Uh, on his way to Jerusalem, the cross is before him, and uh, as he is is engaging more specifically uh, with um, great conviction, the sins of the Pharisees and the leaders of Israel, the animosity is growing, and now they have set themselves to um, oppose him, and their opposition will ultimately lead in the cross. You, You sense, as you're moving through the gospel of Luke, that the There's uh, a a storm brewing. Uh, Things are getting intense. There's a a gathering storm of events that is ultimately going to lead to Jesus Christ being put to death. The the crowds are following him, as we see in in verse 1 of 12, but most of them don't believe in Jesus. Uh, They're curious. They're intrigued, maybe impressed, but we're going to find soon that um, they're the ones who will be also... um, calling for him to be crucified. And, and the fact that these numbers are growing is going to be one of the chief reasons that the scribes and Pharisees and leaders com- are, are committed to killing him. They are terrified by the popularity that Jesus is gaining. They're afraid of losing their power. They're afraid that um, the Romans are going to resist this. And, and so the growing numbers is just part of the problem uh, or part of the event that is going to lead to Jesus' death. Now, Jesus knows that the opposition that he is facing is going to be faced by his disciples. And he never apologizes for it. It's one of the things, as you read the Gospels, uh, he, he never says, you know, they hated me. They're going to hate you. I'm sorry about that. I, um, I'm going I'm to be, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be imprisoned. Uh, you're going to be dragged before kings and all that. And I wish that, I wish it didn't have to be that way, but it's just the way it needs to be. Jesus never apologizes. Jesus says this is the calling. No servant is greater than his master. I'm sending you as lambs among wolves. He doesn't apologize, but he does equip them and promises them and teaches them uh, great things that will give them the strength to endure. As I said before, uh, today is the International Day of Prayer for the persecuted church. It's also the day after Reformation uh, as we celebrate God's great work. Uh, in reforming the church, but that reforming work was also accompanied by a great deal of persecution, as we'll see in a moment. Uh, Friends, we are living in days of increased uh, opposition to Christ and his cause, as uh, you undoubtedly are aware. Uh, the, The greatest persecution is happening in Africa and Asia and the Middle East. It's estimated that there are between 50 to 70,000 uh, Christians who are in the, the death camps of North Korea. Uh, the churches in Iraq and Syria are being ruthlessly targeted by the enemies of Christ. Millions of believers are suffering political oppression, a social ostracization, economic hardships because they believe in Jesus. Uh, Open Doors, uh, which is a ministry devoted to the persecuted church, estimates, estimates that each month uh, 214 church buildings just like this are destroyed. Uh, 322 Christians, they estimate, are killed each month uh, for their faith. That's uh, just over 10 every day are put to death. Uh, that would be today then as well. Uh, only the Lord knows how many are beaten and raped, um, cast out of their families, um, Subject to various crimes and acts of hatred because they believe in Jesus. Uh, but those are names, those are numbers. I think it's important that we also just remember that those numbers have names. Um, I'd like to tell you about Susan, a 14-year-old girl who raised in a strictly Muslim home in Uganda. Uh, Susan heard a speaker, a speaker came to her school and talked about Jesus, and Susan became a believer in Jesus, and she began to go to church. Uh, when her father heard about this, uh, he was furious. He brought her and her little brother out in the yard with a knife held to her throat, threatened that if she did not renounce her faith uh, that he would kill her and her little brother. Uh, she refused to recant, and so he took her and, uh, into a, uh, her bedroom, a small room with only a mat on the floor, put her on the mat and told her that um, she needed to stay there until she was ready to renounce Christ and he walked out and he locked the door. Uh, that door remained locked for three months as he left her there. Uh, Susan uh, managed to stay alive barely because her little brother would dig uh, in the dirt under the floor and pour water there that she could lap up and would also uh, put uh, food under the door for her uh, when it was safe. Uh, When neighbors began to ask what happened to Susan, um, her little brother told the story, and the police were called. And uh, when they opened the door, uh, Susan was still there on the map. Uh, She weighed about 40 pounds. Uh, She couldn't walk because her bones had begun to form along the shape of the map. Uh, When she was asked why she didn't try to escape, her her answer was, uh, my father told me that... um, I could not leave this mat until I was ready to deny Jesus, and I simply could not do that. Uh, she is now recovering, and her uh, father is in the hands of the authorities. Uh, that's that's a name of someone, a young sister in Christ, who is suffering for Christ's sake. Um, sharing in Christ's sufferings is something that we all have a vague sense we're supposed to in some some way maybe be involved with but it's not it's not the air sort of that we breathe it's not what we're used to we're not we're not accustomed to uh, being hated uh, or or opposed or persecuted. God has given us the blessing of protection and freedom in this country. But we are, I think, sensing, I hope you are sensing, that the tide seems to be changing and that there's increasing boldness and hostility uh, by the enemies of Christ against the church, and that it's very likely that we will face persecution in our day that our parents never experienced. It's very likely. Now, it's not I'm not a prophet. God alone knows what he has in store for us. But it it seems that that is the direction things are going. And that thought might be frightening to you. None of us enjoys pain. Uh, We don't like to suffer, be it emotionally, physically, uh, financially. And the prospect of actually facing suffering uh, could be something that just causes a pit to come up in the knot of our stomach. And we just hope that we don't have to experience it. But Jesus tells us that we will experience it in one form or another and calls us then to endure and to stand and to confess Jesus in the face of an opposing world. He calls us to this. And he gives us then words to equip us, words that we do well to give uh, our our attention to. Because he gives us in these few verses in Luke chapter 12, he gives the disciples then and today wonderful Um, insight into spiritual realities, specifically realities concerning the triune God. If you notice that Jesus speaks of the Father and the Son and the Spirit uh, in these verses, the Father verses 4 through 7, the Son verses 8 through 9, and the Spirit in verses 10 through 12. And so there's a Trinitarian um, reality, a triune God, and and Jesus will, will talk to us about each person of the Trinity in ways that encourage us to stand and equip us to endure. And so that's what we'll look at this morning first the father's presence then the son's um, profession and the spirit's promise the father's presence do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do but i will warn you whom to fear fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast you into hell yes i tell you fear him that might not sound encouraging it sounds threatening and it is In one sense, it absolutely is. You see, what Jesus is trying to do in these verses is is to just give us a sense of the reality, of true spiritual reality, how things really are. Isn't it true that we tend to be afraid of all the wrong things? Our fears are almost always misplaced and misinformed. Think of the things that you are most afraid of. Uh, or things that you just face day to day, the fears that, that you face. We face so often the wrong things. It's not that the things that we fear aren't in some ways harmful or painful, but they're not, they're not things that we ought to be, that we need to be afraid of. And, and Jesus will explain why. Uh, let me give you some examples. We fear. Um, not getting things that we think we need or that we deeply desire, whether it be a relationship, whether it be a career, whether it be um, financial security, a reputation, certain pleasures and things, when what we ought to be afraid of, the thing that can actually harm us eternally and kill us forever, is the selfishness and the idolatry that lies behind the desires. Don't be afraid of not having things. Be afraid of a heart that refuses to be thankful unless you have those things. That will kill you. Jesus is trying to give us spiritual insight so that we fear the right things. A misplaced fear can kill you. If you uh, don't go to the doctor because um, you just don't like bad news, that will probably kill you. Because the ailment that began as a very small, easily treatable ailment uh, will, will become life-threatening. So Jesus is talking to his disciples. He knows they're going to be persecuted. He wants to free them from the fear of death. He wants them to help them overcome the fear of physical pain and dying. Because if that doesn't happen, the devil can use that fear and will use that fear to squelch their witness. 1553, Thomas Cramner, Archbishop of Canterbury, and a leader of the Protestant Reformation in England, was arrested along with Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley, two other uh, reformers. Uh, Latimer and Ridley were quickly convicted of heresy and sentenced to be burned at the stake October 16, 1555. The Catholic court which convicted them brought Cramner uh, to a tower where he was required to watch his two friends being burnt alive. That demonstration had its desired effect, and Cramner uh, recanted, both in speech and in a letter, uh, his Protestant faith, and he rejoined the Catholic Church. Uh, The thought of such a painful death, you see, was just too much for him to bear. He couldn't do it. And that's exactly what Jesus warns us about. The disciples are going to be persecuted. They're going to be under the constant fear of death. And if they succumb to the fear of physical pain and death, uh, the the gospel mission will come to a screeching halt. And isn't that the case in our own lives? Isn't it true that one of the absolute greatest obstacles to our witness in the world is fear? We're just not comfortable talking about Jesus in a bold, public way. We're not comfortable calling people to faith in Jesus Christ when it's so evident that they, they believe strongly in something else. It feels, it feels awkward. It feels intrusive. It, it, it feels maybe arrogant for, to, to say to a convinced Muslim or, or Buddhist or, or pagan, you need Jesus or you will die. You need to come to Jesus Christ. You need to confess your sins it just doesn't it doesn't feel right and it, and and we're afraid of what we're going to receive back we're afraid of, of what's going to happen to us Reichen points out many Christians are far too easily frightened. They're afraid to take a moral stand at work that might cost them their careers. They're afraid to defend a consistent Christian position in the college classroom or the faculty lounge. They are afraid to challenge their friends when they're going in the wrong spiritual direction. They're afraid to talk to strangers about the gospel. And I just think we all know exactly what he's talking about. It's scary to stand up. You might lose things to take a stand for Christ. So how do you overcome that? Well, Jesus responds to that with spiritual perspective. Fear the right things, he says. Fear the things that free you and motivate you in the paths of life. Physical death is not the thing to worry about. The wrath of God who can send you to hell after you die, that's what you should worry about. That's what Jesus says. Don't be afraid of this, but I warn you, you most certainly ought to fear the one who can kill you and cast you into hell. Be afraid of that. Don't be afraid of losing your physical life, but be very afraid of losing your soul. The demons fear this. Do you remember that when Jesus remember, uh, went to, cast the, to, to Gennesaret and the, the man there had the... Uh, Legion, he was full of demons, and they and they cried out, begging Jesus, don't cast us into the abyss. They understand there's a there's a a a horror there, they do not want to experience. Jesus says, Fear that now. He's not trying to frighten his disciples into faithfulness, he's He's trying to give them an accurate picture of spiritual reality. So he's not, you know, if, boys and girls, if you think about, you know, jumping into the deep end of the swimming pool. It's not like you're standing on the end of the diving board and you're afraid to go in. And your father says, listen, if you don't jump into that swimming pool, I'm going to beat the tar out of you. Okay, that would not be good. Okay, It might be effective, but it, it's not what Jesus is doing. He's saying there is a spiritual reality. There is a God in heaven who is holy and just and who is committed to responding to everything that is evil with justice. Fear him. Fear him. He's not going away. Fear the one who can send you into hell. Fear what will happen to your soul. You see, your soul in that sense is so much more valuable than your physical body because what you do with your soul and in your soul determines what will happen to you, body and soul, when you die. Jesus is simply telling his disciples, see things as they are. Get your priorities straight. Men are not worth fearing. What's the worst they can do to you? Which, again, doesn't seem helpful. Because the worst they can do to us is exactly the thing that we fear. They can kill us. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid of that. Be armed and guarded and protected with a fear of the one who can cast you into hell. Because this is the beauty of it. If you are reconciled to him, you have nothing whatsoever to fear. Notice Jesus immediately starts talking about the care of the father, which it just, it just seems strange in the text. Be afraid of the one who can cast you into hell. Are not sparrows sold for two apiece? Are not, and not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of far more value than many sparrows. Is, what, is, what is he doing? Why, why are we talking about sparrows? And how does it help to know that God cares about the sparrows? It's, it's, it's nice. It's, I mean, if you sit and you watch the birds, you think that, you know, the Lord cares about all these little birds. That's, that's nice. How does it help? Well, I think it helps exactly this way. It means that God is not ruling this universe in a general sense. He's he's not overseeing your life in a vague general way. He knows the hairs of your head and every atom that makes up those hairs. It means, you see, that God's involvement in your life is all the way down to the the numbers of of hairs you have. It's not a general involvement. It is incredibly specific. It, It means that the God who made you is intimately engaged in every second of your day, every detail of your life. He Is engaged in all of it and he loves you. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows exactly what the context, the situation that you're in, he knows the trials that you're facing, and he loves you. You have a far greater value than many, many sparrows. So Jesus says, Don't be afraid. If once you've dealt with the great fear, once you've dealt with the one who can cast you into hell, once you're reconciled to him, don't be afraid. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. Sparrows matter to God, but you matter vastly more. You're the apple of his eye. He delights in you. He's given his own son to die for you. And that, you see, empowers us. When you're convinced that the only thing to really fear is hell and that fear has been removed because of the work of Jesus Christ and you're reconciled to the Father who gave you to Christ and the Father values you just more than you can possibly know and is intimately engaged in every detail of your life and your world as sovereign Lord, Well, you don't have to fear people anymore. You don't have to be afraid of what people can do to you. They don't have power over you, no matter what they do. I read just this past week the story of a 16-year-old young girl uh, who grew up in Asia in a very solid Christian home. She was a a vibrant believer. Uh, She left home uh, to go find a good job to help support her poor family. She was um, betrayed by a relative who promised that he was going to help her find a job, and what he actually did was he sold her into sexual slavery. She spent several months being brutalized before she was finally freed. When the rescuers entered her little room, they found that she had written on the wall, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When wicked men advance against me to devour my flesh, they shall stumble and fall. Not her. She was standing, her faith was secure. Confidence was in God. How do you not be afraid when you're 16 years old and you're sold in that way? You need to know your God. You need to be confident that He knows the sparrows and He's not making mistakes. If He gave you Jesus, He will not be playing with you, not be playing with your life. Jesus just wants us to see spiritual reality, to see things as they actually are. Secondly, the Son's profession. How do we we come to this? How do we get this confidence that God cares for us more than he cares for the sparrows? Well, do we confess Jesus? Notice he just moves seamlessly into this. I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the son of man also will acknowledge before the angels of God, but the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Again, Jesus wants us to see things as they are. We need to understand that Jesus is the great issue of human history the great fact of human history the great fact and issue then of your life what you do with jesus matters more than anything else you do in life a thousand thousand times more how you think of jesus and how you speak of jesus in this world directly relates to how you will spend eternity He is the stone that causes men to stumble, the stone that's become the capstone. And to stumble on Jesus, to be ashamed of Jesus, is to do great harm to your eternal soul. But it's also the way find life as you confess Christ, you confess Jesus. You, to, to, the word here, hamelagao, is to say the same thing. It's, it's to say the same thing about Jesus that Jesus says about Jesus, that the Father says about Jesus, that the Word says about Jesus. It is a great crime, friends, to be ashamed of Jesus. Do you sense that? To be ashamed of Jesus, the Son of God, the one whom angels worship and adore, to be ashamed of the one who loved you and gave his life for you, the one who has promised you just amazing things, blessings upon blessings forever, to be ashamed of Jesus, to not want to be identified with Jesus, do, do we sense how awful that is? And, and yet, isn't it true that we are? I am. There's a conversation I know I should have with maybe the person sitting next to me on the airplane or or the person at the grocery store, whatever it might be, and and I know that I ought to speak up and and just talk about the gospel, and yet fear can just absolutely make me clam up, fear not knowing what to say, fear of how I'm going to be perceived. You've been in situations where you know you're a child of God. You know that your friends are engaged in something they should not be engaged in. You know that you should speak up. You should, you should be the ones to say, guys, we should not be watching this, this movie. What are we doing? We should not be talking like this. What, what, what's going on? Why are we laughing at this? It's offensive to God. We've been bought with blood. But you don't, because we're ashamed. Friends, we're not the morality police. Okay? We need to have that very clear. We, we don't have the calling of going around telling everyone else what they're doing wrong. But we are the blood-bought disciples of Jesus Christ, and we do have a calling in this world to speak for his name and for his cause. And that's what Jesus is talking about. If we don't speak for Jesus, who will? It's our calling as blood-bought disciples of Christ to love him, to boast in him, to speak of him. And the truth is, you see, if that we're ashamed of him now, what makes us think that we won't be ashamed of him then when the persecution is real? And maybe we're going to really actually lose something. It's just not going to work that way. Again, friends, Jesus just wants us to see spiritual reality. If you confess Christ before men, you're... (laughs) You're a victor, the fu- God in heaven who has the authority to cast you into hell, that God pronounces you just and righteous in Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself will confess you. He will speak what is true of you before the the throne of God in heaven. In the the courts, in the palaces, and the halls of heaven, Jesus will be confessing you. Let, Let a vision for that settle into your mind. Can you imagine that? The second person of the Trinity confessing you before his Father in heaven, this one is mine, that one is mine. This one has has done so and so by the grace and the power of God. This one bears fruit to the glory of God in such and such a way. It's just magnificent. If we're willing to stand, you see, for Christ's cause, his worth, his glory, his gospel on earth, he promises he will speak on our behalf before his Father in heaven. But the warning is is there as well. If you denounce and uh, disown the Son before men, you will be disowned by the Son. You see, confessing is not an option for disciples. It's not a little accessory you get to add on to the the package of Christian faith that that you've bought into. It's not an accessory. (laughs) Is this settling in on you? How serious this is? Are you willing to let the weight of this settle on you? Settle on me? Settle on us? If we don't confess Jesus in this world, we're saying something. And Jesus says, those who don't confess won't be confessed. We're saved by faith alone. We're not saved by our works. But the faith faith that saves is a confessing faith. Now, again, that doesn't mean we all got to be standing out in street corners. It does mean that as a blood-bought disciple of Jesus Christ, you have a calling to not be ashamed of Jesus, to gladly own, yes, I belong to him. And his purposes are my purposes. I live for Jesus. And Jesus then promises the Holy Spirit to help us in that. There's Again, there's a warning and a promise when we talk about the Holy Spirit. Everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. The one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. There's been just volumes of ink spilled over this. What is the unforgivable sin? This perplexes theologians. It vexes God's children. How, how can there be a sin which God is not able to forgive? Well, it, it, it can't be that the sin is just too wicked, because you see, what that would be saying is that Jesus' blood is, is really powerful, but when it comes to this one sin that is so perverse, so wicked, so wrong, Jesus' blood just can't go there. It doesn't have the ability to actually deal with that sin. That can't be true. It that can't be true. So what is this about? Well, I'm not, we can't possibly unfold all of it, but I think the heart of it, at least in, to be helpful, is this. Let's, let's remember and acknowledge it is a great evil to blaspheme God. In the Old Testament law, it was the greatest sin, the one that deserved death. And Jesus, of course, was charged with doing exactly that. He was put to death for blasphemy. Blasphemy is a great evil. Against God, But blasphemy is forgivable. Jesus says in verse 10 that, that blasphemy against the Son of Man will be forgiven. Paul says, I was a reviler and a blasphemer, and he was forgiven. Blasphemy is forgivable. So why does Jesus say that blasphemy against the Spirit is unforgivable? And again, it can't be because there's a uniqueness about the evil that is beyond the ability of Christ's blood, I think it's more helpful to understand that that blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, resisting and refusing the Holy Spirit, is functionally irreparable. If you remember how salvation works, the Father decrees, the Son accomplishes, the Spirit applies. So, all three parts are necessary. The only way to be forgiven is to call on the name of the Lord. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But who reveals that to you? Who makes it possible for you, the sinner, to call on the name of the Lord? The Holy Spirit does. You have to confess your sin to call on the name of the Lord. Who gives you the ability to confess your sin? The Holy Spirit. His ministry is to convict. You have to to call on the Lord with a new heart. Well, who gives you a new heart? The Holy Spirit does. Who teaches you the grace of repentance? The Holy Spirit does. Who gives you the ability to read the word and see that it's true and come to believe in it? Who gives the gift of faith? The Holy Spirit. You see, if you resist and refuse and blaspheme against the Spirit of God, you can't possibly be saved. Because you're resisting the agent of your salvation. You refuse to hear the words of God. You refuse to, to respond in faith and repentance. You refuse to ask for the spirit to help you. You can't be saved. You can't be saved. If you refuse the means of grace, you can't be saved. Functionally. Functionally. Right? If you refuse to open the Word of God, you refuse to re- accept the truth of the Word of God, you refuse to participate in, in worship and in prayer, it, you have no interest in the things that the Holy Spirit uses to convict men of sin, to create faith in their hearts, to regenerate them and make them disciples and sons of, uh, of Christ and sons of God. You can't be saved if you're blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. The, 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 the payoff for this then, for, for believers, is... To treasure the Spirit. (laughs) Treasure the Spirit. We often, I think we just ignore Him. But He's working to convict you. If if He's working to convict you, praise God. That He's not just left you in your sin. If He's he's at work and He's he's moving you to pray and to open the Word and and the, the means of grace are being beneficial to you. It's the Spirit of God. Treasure the Spirit. Be concerned about grieving the Spirit. Have you ever just said, Holy Spirit, I am so sorry for the ways that I've resisted you? Have you ever been tempted to sin and it seemed like the Holy Spirit was just slamming doors in your face one after the other, and yet you were so committed to your lust, your your passion, your anger, whatever it was, that you just blew past all those doors and you did it anyway? You knew it was wrong. You knew you shouldn't do it. You knew the Holy Spirit was trying to sl- slow you down, trying to stop you, trying to make you turn and repent, but you refused. Do you go to Him after that and do you say, I am so sorry? Holy Spirit, don't, don't remove yourself from me. Forgive me for my sin. Do you treasure the Spirit? because friends the spirit is essential to your salvation it's essential that you be in the spirit that the spirit be in you that he guide you and lead you and convict you and give you faith and give you the ability to stand and that's how Jesus ends the comfort that the spirit promises to help us when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities. Don't be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. The spirit you see gives us the strength to endure. Remember when Peter and John were arrested and brought before the Sanhedrin. Acts chapter 5. Chapter 4 verse 5. And here they are dragged because they've just healed a man in the name of Jesus. And now their life is on the line, literally, truly life on the line. And so when they had set them in their midst, Peter and John, these leaders, they inquired of them, by what power or by what name did you do this? And then we read this wonderful verse, verse 8, then Peter, the same guy, remember, who had uh, called curses on his head in front of a little girl when she said, weren't you with him? May God damn me if I know this man Jesus, the same Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Where did that come from? That came from the Holy Spirit. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, now has incredible courage to speak the name of Jesus Christ. And that there is no other name other than Jesus by which you must be saved. The one whom you put to death is the one that God has exalted. Friends, that's what Jesus promises to do for us. If we lean on that spirit, he'll give you the words. He won't let you fall. He won't let you fall uh, in fear and and deny Christ ultimately to your death. And you might think, well, what about Thomas Cramner? Well, that's the beauty of the story. Thomas Cramner, remember, um, denied his faith in Jesus Christ and in, in Christ alone. He denied that his faith, that we're saved by faith alone and through grace alone, in Jesus Christ alone. He said, I renounce all of that, and he rejoined the Catholic Church. But the Catholic Church wasn't wasn't satisfied with that. They wanted to make an example of him, and so he was still sentenced to die. So what is poor Thomas Cramner going to do? He's renounced his faith in hopes of keeping his life, and now his life is going to be lost as well. Well, he, he confessed his sin and God is gracious and greater than our sin and God gave him the grace to repent and so on the day of his execution, he was brought out to address the crowds and he had been instructed to write out what he was going to say so it could be approved by the authorities and so he did and then he got in the pulpit and he ignored the script and he renounced he confessed his sin, he renounced all the recantations that he had written or signed with his own hand, and said that in um, in his just repentance, that his hand would be the first thing that would be burned by the fire. And called people then to faith in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. He was quickly pulled from the pulpit. And taken to where Latimer and Ridley had been burnt six months before, and as the flames began then to rise, he took his hand and put it into the fire, and his dying words were, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. I see heaven open and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. That's what the Holy Spirit can do when we are in times of great trial and persecution. He can make us stand. He can make us stand. Let me wrap up with this. Jesus is trying to give us just insight into spiritual reality. There is nothing in this world that will tell you this truth. You're not going to see it on any movie. You're not going to hear it in some top 40 song on WGRD or whatever you listen to. Jesus is trying to speak to us in a a lost and opposing world, spiritual truths that you'll hear nowhere else except the word of God. So, a few things. One, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you are in awful danger. Jesus wants you to know that there is a God in heaven who knows what you do and a God in heaven who has sworn himself to justice, who will punish you with fire of hell. We're going to be talking about that in Sunday school this morning. Can you believe in a God who who sends people to hell? Well, it is the biblical God. There there is no other God. Jesus wants you to be afraid of dying if you are not in Jesus Christ. He wants you to be very afraid because that fear can, can make you flee to Christ. And so my plea to you today is if you're not ready to die, you need to get ready to die because you are going to die. And God does not promise it will be a long time from now. You are going to die and stand before God. And Jesus says, be very afraid of the one who, after he has killed you, can cast your soul into hell. Please have mercy on your soul. If you are not in Jesus Christ this morning, there is absolutely nothing that matters more than making that right, confessing your sin and coming to Jesus Christ in order to be saved. Because if you walk out of this room and you do not do that, when you stand before God on the judgment day, he will say, do you remember the sermon you heard November 1, 2015? Why did you not respond? Why did you not respond? Secondly, if you are a false believer, you think you're a Christian but you're really not, do you understand that there's coming a day that is going to expose that? persecution is something that god uses in his church to to purify the church in other words when persecution comes and if you are not a true believer you do not have the holy spirit to help you stand you will not be able to to resist fleeing jesus says on that day many will fall away friend don't wait for that day If you are a false believer, this is the time to get real with Jesus Christ. This is the time to prepare your heart. This is the time to get serious about your faith, to be serious about the word, to be serious about the gospel, to be serious about prayer, serious about Christian fellowship, serious about actually being a true believer. Because persecution is going to happen, and if it doesn't, you will stand before judgment day just like I will. But persecution, if it's coming, it will flush you out. It will flush you out. It always does. And then three, if you have a true faith in Jesus Christ, not a perfect faith, but you know that you have no hope whatsoever apart from him and that Jesus Christ is your only righteousness, Jesus is what you plead, Jesus is where you've placed your hope, that your life does not belong to you, you acknowledge it belongs to Jesus, and you grieve your sin and you're longing to be like him, brother, you have every reason for courage. Sister, the Bible says that the Father has loved you before the foundation of the world. The Father gave you to Jesus because he loves you. And Jesus gave his life for you, and then he gave his spirit to you because he loves you. And that spirit is able to bring you safely home to the Father and the Son. You have nothing to fear. Jesus believes in the power of his own work. Jesus believes that his death destroys death, that his victory is your victory if you belong to him. And Jesus calls you then today to lay, on, to lay hold of it, to believe it, to trust it. You don't have to be afraid. You can take every single fear in your life and drag it to the cross and let it die there. Take it to an empty tomb, let it die there. You have nothing to fear when you have Jesus and the Father and the Spirit as your own. Amen? Let's pray. Well, Father in heaven, Lord, you've been speaking this morning to fearful people. And we confess the sin of it. We are anxious and worried about many things. And our hearts and minds so often are fixed on, again, things that are passing away. But thank you, Jesus, that you love us and that you speak spiritual truth to us. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us then receive these truths and believe these truths and be transformed by these truths. It is not our interest, Lord Jesus, to simply grow in theological understanding or biblical knowledge. We want to, Lord, have those truths, those doctrines become resident in our hearts and, and powerful in our lives. So that we face down our fears with the truth of the gospel. And that we live in this world then, not as people who are afraid, but people who have the Lord as their light and their salvation. And Father, again, for any here this morning who are just in a spiritual um, death, spiritual slumber... I pray the Holy Spirit would graciously address their heart, convict them of their sin, and that this day would be a day where they find the truth and the light and the life in Jesus Christ. Thank you so much, Lord Jesus, for talking this bluntly to us. We needed to hear it. Now, Lord, I pray that you would honor yourself by changing our lives through the power of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.